Hello, this is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website at richmondbizlive.com and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Helping Richmond, one hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar and join in every Saturday at 10 o'clock on WLE News Talk 990 for the most important hour in your week. Good morning, Richmond. Beautiful day here at 308 Broad Street, the studios of WLE News Talk 990. This is Richmond Biz Live business talk show focused on growing your business especially existing and older companies in fact our view around here is the older the better if you think it's about time that your company began to perform and pay you back for the years of no checks all the blood sweat and tears that you put into it this is the right spot Uh, join us on our journey which is your journey as well of growing the economy here in gorgeous downtown richmond one business at a time. And you can do that by joining the show at 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. Or for those people in the car, 844-BIZLIVE. B-I-Z-L-I-V-E. Okay. So here we are. Uh, what's, what's the show about? Well, every segment, every topic is authored by a business expert that are also business owners. And basically what you're not hearing on here is theory you're hearing practical information that we are using daily to run our companies. And that's why you should be listening as well, because you can pay thousands of dollars for this stuff, or you can just turn on a radio. So here's my uh, challenge to you. Join us every Saturday at 10.06 at Richmond Biz Live and get the information that you need to run your company. Okay, this week, what we got going on this week? Well, we're going to start off with uh, talking about thought leadership from the perspective that the business owner entrepreneur needs to brand himself. And we got Mary Foley in the studios. Then we're going to move over to operations and we're going to be talking about how you make things or how you execute on services. And we've got Andy Schulich back to talk about the processes of lean. Then we've got uh, Lee Tran, um, who's going to be in here talking about the technology and how to make technology user-friendly. And then I'm going to say a few things about the people dimension but we've got, a, we've got a featured guest today. We've got Jill Schlesinger from CBS News, and she does the business economy news for CBS. In fact, you can find her, if you're sitting in front of your computer right now, at Jill on Money. And she's going to be talking about what she is seeing going on in the economy today for small business owners. So that's kind of the show that we've got lined up. Our format is pretty simple. Business experts, it's a radio TED. For those people familiar with TED conferences, they have 10 minutes to talk about a particular topic that will, one, stand alone, but also, number two, um, when you string them together, it makes some sense about running the company. And they're going to cover three things in their presentations. One, why is this particular topic critical? Number two, how do you benefit from it as a business owner? And number three, how you get it done. And um, sometimes we can cover everything. If we can't, then we'll give you a link to our resource page or we'll give you a link to their website. And our resource page and the place that you ought to be starting this show from is www for all those people that don't understand it that's now implied richmondbizlive.com and you'll see watch us hear us um maybe even play with us i think there's a button on there oh anyway enough of that okay so let's start off and we'll start our first segment 
on Thought Leadership. And back in the studio is Mary Foley. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Great to be here. Oh, it's good seeing you again. <laughs> it's good to be live. It's good uh, yeah. to be A-Live. How about that? A-Live. <laughs> to be live and A-Live. <laughs> that's right. Some Saturday mornings, that's more important than others. But, uh, <laughs> you know, last time I was here, we talked about business reputation. And, um, you know, what someone immediately, how, how important it is to have a really good reputation for your business as you, if you want to build uh, yourself as a, as a thought leader. You know, Bonnie Raitt said, and I share this as one of my favorite songs, let's give them something to talk about, you know. Um, but way too often businesses don't give your buyers, your potential buyers, something or anything to talk about. And they aren't memorable. And they don't yeah. distinguish themselves. You know, so, so often businesses say, oh, well, we have world-class customer service. Or we have, you know, the best innovation. Who doesn't? Yeah, exactly. Well, at least who, who would not say they don't have it? Well, well it, yeah, it does. It's nothing. It's same old lame You know, it's just like give them something at whammo. That to give people something to really talk about. And um, those things really don't mean much. All right. So... I think that's just off. It doesn't. If you want to really be, if you want a reputation that is, that you are um, not only a good reputation, but you need to distinguish your business um, amongst your competitors and among other businesses. And so that's what I really want to focus on today. Okay, is there, is there a difference in gender on this? Because I know you and I have had a couple of offline conversations <laughs> on that topic. You mean? Uh, well, no. I think that the idea of distinguishing your business is universal. I think, you know, now, it, it, gender always plays, um, just like all of our experiences in life and our personalities and how even, you know, our philosophies, they all inform who we are, how we're leading our businesses, how we view the world, how we view the community. So, yeah, gender is going to play a part. And um, But I don't think it's, you know, that, that women's businesses or men's businesses are any more, uh, you know, necessarily, it's about that. I think what it's really about is what is in the mind of your potential buyer that's the focus and i think that's what often happens when we talk about thought leadership and the whole focus goes oh it what does the ceo think what does the senior management team think hey it ain't about you and your thoughts it's about what's in your buyer's head and what their thoughts are and how you can best connect with them and be the go-to product solution business for their problem awesome so what so you're right there Let's talk about benefits. Okay. Well, the thing is, is that when your business is truly distinguished, you're going to address one of the biggest challenges that all businesses have with buyers today, and that is that they are lazy, busy, and befuddled. Lazy, busy, and befuddled. That's right. And you and I, as consumers, and when we need a B2B solution for our business, we are also lazy, lazy. busy, busy, and befuddled. Uh, I know. I had a business meeting yesterday that it took these guys three weeks to track me down. <laughs> okay. Well, here's the thing that I mean by it. Some, often people go, no, our customers aren't like that, or oh, I'm not like that. We're lazy in the sense that no buyer really looks forward to being marketed to or sold to. They don't. They, and they, in, if you want to be someone, you want to be someone that solves their problem fast. They just want to find something that they, somebody, some, some business that they can go to, solve their problem fast, and not have to think more about it. And that's what I mean by lazy. When I say okay. busy, they got a million other things going on. Amen. Exactly. And are you the obvious, smartest, least risky choice? All right? It's just one of the... And then befuddled is about being overwhelmed with, you know, information and choice choices and uh, data sheets and features and benefits and all this information about... A potential, you know, purchase, all right, of a product right. or a service. They've been let down in the past 
because the sizzle looked too good in the marketing speak. You know, they've been burned sometimes, and you've got to convey that you are not only just trustworthy, you understand, again, what's in their head, what their problem is, and you can fix it. So, when you want to, if you want to distinguish, you know, your your business, you got to address this lazy, busy, and befuddled. Okay, and so, and that applies also if I'm trying to distinguish myself. I'm Absolutely. the owner of the company. I want to mm-hmm. be known as an expert right. in the industry, and that's kind of a double whammy for the company because it comes over to the company that goodwill, and the goodwill of the company comes over to me. Well, that, that's absolutely right. And, you know, oftentimes the CEO and the business are considered in terms of their reputation one and the same. It's not always actually true, but I think here's the thing, that if you can, as the business leader in your company, say what distinguishes us as a company first and get that clarity, then you can ask yourself, now, what part of that, given that distinguishing aspect, can I personally add some additional value to or add my personal, um, you know, uh, personal remark on or something you know in other right. words but but i really think what happens the bigger thing is is that beyond the ceo that business is not distinguishable among other businesses in their community and in the marketplace that they're in so that's the bigger problem to me okay so how do you, how do they do it all right let's talk about some how to yeah i always like to give how to's as well and um here's it, it, you know as simple as it is so often this doesn't happen enough i would say um, if you've got a team of, of you know employees and you've got you get your management team together, get your sales team together, get your marketing team together. All right, internal and ask them what is unique about us that compels customers to do business with us, and have a group conversation. And as the CEO, as the leader, do not feed them with possible re- possible answers to that question. Simply ask questions and keep listening. What's interesting is, is that you're going to find one of two overall things. Either the people are pretty much on the same page, pretty much same kind of cluster of answers, or it's really all over the place. And that means not everyone is on the same page. And it also means that it's not clear within the organization what is really the distinguishing factor. So in the end, it's not what the CEO thinks is the reason why we're unique. I want to say that again. It's not what the CEO thinks why you're unique. It's what the customers think. Your existing buyers think you're unique. So that's why I think the step two of this is, even if you are on the same page as a management team and a marketing and sales team, you need to go out, I think, to your top 10 to 15 buyers and meet with them in person or on the phone, have a personal conversation, ask that same question. What, in your opinion, makes us unique that you wanted to do business with us and really listen and keep asking probing questions? Because if they say something like, oh, you have such a great product. We thought you were the best. What made it great? Okay. Every company can be greater. Great example of a business here in RVA that has, it is in some ways a commodity product, but they don't make it a commodity all at all. It's Pearl's Cupcakes. I mean, how common could a cupcake be? You can go to every grocery store practically and get a cupcake. You can get a mix and you can do that it at home. That's true. I've, been, I've Pearl's, been to Pearl's. Pearl's Cupcakes, and there are other cupcake competitors in, in RVA, and they have some good product. But they distinguish themselves as the top brand of cupcake because of their flavors, because of their customer service. And so it can be done even as something what seemingly is mundane as a cupcake. And I bet you if you ask... Um, uh, Lori Blakey is one of the co-founders, and I've gotten to know her some. She'll say, it's the product, but it's not a cupcake. It's an experience. That's, right. that's how she does it. So that's one thing. So 
um, if they if a, if the buyers say, oh, you have well, just a great um, you know service model. You're saying, what do you mean by that? Another again, just keep asking probing questions to clarify. And you want to do something also that's important. Write down, capture the buyer's answers in their words. Do not convert it in your head into what you think they mean. Write down their exact words. And here's two reasons why. You want to take all this collective conversation input back to the internal team that we were just talking about and sort through it and say, here's what they're saying. All right, and not argue with your best buyers about it, and and be able to. You probably will get a clarity that okay, yeah, you know, maybe our customer service, you know, one or two people said that, but consistently we had seven to ten say it was the innovative product that we brought that no one else had. Something like that. You're going to find some trends, right? Right. Go with the top trends. One, and secondly, you already have the starter of marketing language of using their words when you start to talk in all kinds of language, both in written and in verbal form, um, uh, to other potential buyers. Because, again, we're going back to that befuddled thing. Um, It's big about, oh, you understand what my problem is and what my pains are. You use other buyers' quotes, basically, on that in language, you're going to immediately connect. I want to give a a shout-out to another business here in RVA, and it's Concierge Home Solutions. Because they have a service model. They are an organization you can call up like a concierge, make one call. Hey, I need to get my bathroom renovated, or maybe I need I need to get my house painted. I don't have time to go through this whole list of people to vet. Will you do it? They will vet out. They will come and do all the specs that are needed and handle it that in a way that you go. And, in fact, their, their whole focus is, we're going to treat your home the way we treat our own home. And, wow. and the other big thing is, I, and I've used their services, I don't have to um, worry if, uh, I don't even have to be there when all this is happening. That's huge. Mary, um, great, great, because I had a couple thoughts that hit my mind, but we just, I can't, we can't go there right now. <laughs> Um, how, how do people get a hold of you mm-hmm. so they can take take this dialogue a little bit further? Be happy to talk to anyone about this. You can. Uh, my website is maryfoley.com, which is m a r y f o l e y dot com, um, and you know my direct address and phone number is also available on richmondbizlive.com under experts. Happy to have a conversation with anyone more about this. Thanks, Mary. Good seeing you again. You too. And we'll be back. Hi, Mary Foley here. If you're a small business owner in RVA, you're an expert in something, be it building websites, selling insurance, or HR consulting. Are you proactively sharing pieces of your expertise to attract new clients and keep existing ones? Well, that's what thought leadership is all about. Join me on Richmond Biz Live Saturdays at 10 on WLEE News Talk 990 for easy ways you can use thought leadership to grow your business. As a business leader, have you developed a highly productive work environment? Do you create a work-life experience that is self-motivating, enjoyable, and rewarding for your fellow workers, vendors, suppliers, and most importantly, yourself? To navigate to a pleasurable work-life experience, which will provide the means for you to have a fantastic full-life experience, contact me, Andy Schulich, for a free consultation on the web at metamorphosismc.com. And we're back. This is Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. 
And if you want to join us, there's a couple ways to get there. One is call direct, 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. Or for the people in the car, 844.bizlive. Or you can go to our website at therichmondbizlive.com, and it'll say, watch us, play with us, talk to us, and you'll see buttons and all the good stuff. So, and welcome back to the studios. To all the gang is here today. Andy Schulich's back from Metamorphosis Management Consulting, and Andy's here to talk about processes, operations, and specifically suppliers. And as it's a favorite topic of mine because I've been dealing with them in the last week of my role as a VP in a manufacturing firm in Roanoke. So welcome to the show, Andy. Good seeing you again, man. Well, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate it. Uh, one comment, I listened to your show last week, and you talked about zero-based budgeting. Oh, yeah, you too, huh? Everybody, everybody's hot. And, Go. Uh, and that is really good because that's where lean can really help you because it act, if you do it properly, you reduce your fixed and your operating costs, your variable, and so it can really help you out in the long run. So today I'd like to talk about supplier management, basically, which is the integration of suppliers and the buyer with a focus on obtaining quality materials so you can go ahead and produce your products or your services, mm-hmm. uh, determine the amount of storage of these that the supplier provides to you, and determine methods uh, and frequency of delivery. Uh, and all this helps to go ahead and establish uh, the business working relationship between you, the business person, and your suppliers. Uh, and this really takes place in designing products, uh, how you do your production, and most importantly, impacts your profits. In fact, uh, where Andy's going with this, the different types of inventory, whether you hold it, it's in transit, or the, or the supplier holds it, is where I am next week as a VP. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, uh, going back to my uh, peanut butter and jelly English muffin example, if you have a supplier and a business performing uh, the joint development of, of the product and the items, if we use jelly as an example, uh, what's the container design? We had talked about a squeezable container. Bottom exit makes it easier. Uh, how big should that be? How many ounces of uh, jelly should it contain? What about the temperature where you store it in the uh, business location? The temperature of application and all that uh, affects uh, the design of the viscosity of the jelly from the supplier's mm-hmm. point of view. So it's easy to spread when you're trying to apply it. So, okay. Little little help there in in uh, communication, uh, but you know why why is this really important? You know, uh, lean production is based on customer product uh, unit demands, which is a pool system, as they call it, because the customer is telling you what they need, and so you're going to produce against that need. And 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 everybody here, what Andy's saying here is is you're running the business based on demand. You don't buy a thing, you don't make a thing until Somebody says, I'm going to give you money. And what a drastic difference that makes in your cash flow of the business. Oh, most definitely, because our conventional system is a push system where we're out there out there pushing products out to the marketplace and saying, please buy, please buy. You know, and I've already invested all my money. Oh. And, and, you know, and I'm waiting for a return. So it, it's a totally different mindset. Uh, you know, supplier materials... Uh, you know, in this case, must meet your process quality and delivery requirements. And a supplier actually controls the supply of those products and the quality of the incoming materials to you. And so the supplier, 
if they're not knowledgeable of what you're doing, your product and your processes, um, they could really be a component of failure for your business. Uh, and we, we just went through this last week at the plant where we got some bad raw material. Nobody caught it. We were about to move it into finished goods inventory and ship it, and we found the defects, and our relationship with this client has not been good, so we've promised them perfect shipments. And we had to pull an item out and call them and say, um, you know, dance around the fact that right. that it wasn't perfect. Right. And so, you know, what benefits can you expect if you do this? Uh, basically, there is cost savings uh, due to the reduction of your finished goods inventory because now you're supplying on demand. Uh, you have minimized your in-production inventory because you're only producing per the demand, and your raw components inventory is down to almost zero because you're relying upon your supplier relationship to provide it when you need it. Andy, what, what would be a good target uh, turn? Uh, how many turns a year would be a, you think a good target? Uh, well, uh, it's, it's hard to say because it depends on what product you're doing and it depends on how many different products you are providing and producing. But the answer at least is more is better? Oh, more is better, of okay. course. Yes, most okay. definitely. Uh, you know, some of the other things, uh, you have cost reduction incentives for the continuous uh, process improvements that you have, both from the supplier and the business. And the big thing is you share those. Each one uh, keeps their savings. And if you look at it from a customer's point of view, if there is cost reduction, the price of the commodity item does not go up. Therefore, the customer is more pleased because he doesn't see that annual increase. That's and right. Well, very, it allows you to important. use your price as a strategy rather than just a response to the market. Right. 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 Okay. So, so how do you do this? Well, the supplier must become a business associate rather than the lowest price entry. So you basically, we're going to bring the supplier into the company. That become is a correct. partner. And it'll be a partner. And in doing so, uh, you will jointly design whatever your product is so that you can maximize the contribution of the supplier with your needs. And um, you can go ahead and then determine the final selling cost in the same way through this associate saying, if, if I go ahead, typically today, I go ahead and, and get the lowest price and my associate in order to get my business thinking maybe I can lose money the first year, but I'll gain it the second year. In this case where you have the associate, both are there to get income so that they know they will be there next year. Okay. So that's very, very important. So each party retains their savings from the continuous improvement. Therefore, it's an incentive for all to go ahead and become better and develop better relationships. Gotcha. So in summary, um, supplier management is where your business and your suppliers become associates in providing your product to your customers. Uh, this ensures the lowest initial cost to the customers, maintains little or no future price increases, and due to this application of continuous process improvement and cost savings, all are very um, well off in the future, and it creates a more stable business for everyone. Well, Andy, I, um, that is, 
That's great. It gives and it also gives us an opportunity here because we got about a minute or so left. Consult to me right now. What I'm what I'm working on is I'm trying to get my vendors to hold inventory because the the way I look at it, there's three types of inventory. Inventory that the vendor that we've secured at the vendor and they're holding it. So we have so the clock is not ticking on paying it. Then there's the inventory that's in transit being shipped, and then of course is the inventory that we then put on site. Uh, talk about that a little bit more because uh, I think that's a philosophical issue a lot of business owners have got to get to. Yeah, uh, basically when you look at that, uh, you want to go ahead again looking at the pull type of criteria rather than the push. You want to go ahead and have things delivered on time just before you use it and so that's where it's real important to do scheduling and to say okay what are my demands okay and what is my production rate therefore i determine what my delivery rate is going to be and then you look at the overall production from your uh, supplier as to what's the most economical way for them to provide you with the total product that right. you need because what we want to stay away from is all t- uh, special shipments right. because that's that's money None right. of that is free. And especially if you look at shipments that are, uh, you know, um, critical and uh, you don't want to have to go into extra costs for overnight delivery and stuff like that. Absolutely. Okay, Andy, as always, how do people get in touch with you? Okay, you can reach me on uh, richmondbizlive.com or you can go on the web to metamorphosismc.com. Okay. And um, I greatly appreciate it. Good seeing you again, Andy. And I uh, will be talking about this pleasure. inventory ch- challenge because this is the alligator that I got to go shoot on Monday. <laughs> Thank you. Have fun. And then, and so as we're getting ready uh, for uh, uh, we trying to come in and talk uh, about technology, making technology user friendly, I, I want to emphasize what Andy, where Andy was today on the issue of building that type of partnership relationship with your suppliers, so that you can be become the preferred. Uh, client of theirs which means you're first in line but more importantly than anything else has to do with two areas one is how much of their inventory can you can you get them to hold for you before they ship it because the clock is not ticking until it shows up at your plant and number two what are the favorable payment terms that you can get and i i can tell you what you can you can definitely save a ton of money by putting energy into your supplier relationships and with that, now I want to kind of change gear and talk technology. And uh, we, 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 we trans here, and I was going to say, <laughs> we seem to see a lot of each other lately. Yeah, we yeah. <laughs> We spent some time yesterday working webs, uh, websites. So welcome to the show. Good seeing you, man. Hey, man. It's always a pleasure being on there, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, you're, you're going to take one of my favorite topics here, this whole thing about user-friendly. Yeah, yeah, yep, definitely user-friendly. So um, I remember a couple weeks ago when I was in here, we talked about um, the d- – word a day was usability so we're just gonna talk about um adding on a little bit more to that okay yep 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 um so last week we talked about achieving high usability in your company and so just kind of kind of retake what we said last time was um you know businesses should take two steps in before evaluating the right software right yep so step one was to vet the software you want to use to make sure there's a good fit for your company yep and then step two was to also know your process because the more you know about your process, the more you can find that software solution that's going to best fit you, right? Right. So today, just to elaborate a little bit more, and we're going to take a different perspective. We're going to go from the perspective of the user, you know, okay. versus the perspective of right. the business owner. 
Got it. So basically, an end user is anybody. It could be a customer. It can be your employees. Whoever it is that's actually using the software. You know, so versus a business owner who's out there picking the software, many business right. owners don't typically tend to work in that software. They, <laughs> they usually pick it for That's the, the first sign of danger if the owner picked the software, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so, Bill, have you read the book um, E-Myth Revisit? I, I, I have. I, I, I thought Gerber's work was great, and a couple sections there are awesome, and I use them a lot. Yeah. What, yeah. what part are you going to reference? So the part that, um, that really struck me when I first read the book was um, he said on there, um, businesses should have a system where yeah. people with the lowest skill sets can operate. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I mean, you know, yeah. this, so when I first heard this, it totally made sense to me. And, it, you know, it really kind of hit me. I said, you know, if I can build this for the lowest skill set person, then everybody else you know, above that can totally learn us and we can totally operate this. That's right. Yep, yep. Um, and, and, and we're not claiming that people are, are dumb or stupid. That's not the point here. But the point is, is that if, if you build an infrastructure or a system or have software, however you want to say it, that requires incredibly bright people, you know what's in the hiring market right now. You know what you can afford to pay. I wish you luck. Absolutely, absolutely. And actually, this does two things as well when you tailor your software to the lowest skilled person is that it makes it really easy to train other employees or any new employees that's coming on board or maybe customers who are just getting used to your product. Okay. And then also, it's widely adaptable. Now people are trained upon it. It's easily to, um, to be adapted and actually be used. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so actually, I, um, I, I joked around with a friend of mine who works in sales. Right. And um, you know, we, we talked about how salespeople just don't use technology. Oh, no, yeah. So we're going to go to getting salespeople to use CRMs. Is that where we're headed? Yeah, exactly (laughs) it, exactly it. There is this ongoing forever battle between salespeople and tech support. Yep. Tech support guys out there, I know you can relate. You always (laughs) get those phone calls from the salesperson that says, hey, you know, how do I enter this into the system? And then management always comes back and says, sales guy, why didn't you enter this in? Mm -hmm. We need this in there for us to track our sales. And they were still trying to find the on button. Yeah, exactly it. <laughs> exactly it. And, yeah, I mean, salespeople would rather, or at least most salespeople, they would rather use notes or they rather, you know, handwrite something or print out an actual spreadsheet versus using the system. So, you know, but, you know, though, for just some, some stats here for business owners is that Salesforce.com, big key um, cloud-based CRM, they've actually did a study and they showed that businesses who fully utilize a CRM system can increase sales by 29%. Wow. Yeah, you can increase sales productivity up to 34%. And then using a full, being able to track everything with your CRM system is allowing the business to be able to forecast accurately, you know, an increase of 42%. Well, I've never seen those numbers before. Thanks. That, that Those are really something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, we can definitely get the uh, attention of a business owner or sales manager when we go, here it is. Absolutely. Put you know? in a CRM, make it user-friendly, get them to use it. Here's what you can expect. Absolutely. Yep. Wow. I mean, so, and from the customer's perspective, if a customer can't understand or use your system, or use your product, then most likely they're not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And so, and also if you, also from the customer's perspective, if you have a website that requires too many clicks to get to the product page, chances are the customer won't stay on your website or even buy your product. Uh, how many is too many clicks, do you think? Um, usually for me, the magic number is three. 
You know, if I, let's say, for example, if I'm going to Walmart.com, I've, I've searched up the product. I can typically buy something off of Walmart or Amazon within three clicks. You know, a couple of keystrokes and then, bam, the product pops up. I click on the product and I click on add to cart. Okay. So let's just keep three clicks in mind. I, I know I will. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, so some tips. What are some tips we can use um, as a business owner thinking from the end user perspective mm-hmm. Um, to promote a user-friendly system. So tip number one, uh, you need a system that's easy to learn. So if your customer or your employee can't learn your system quickly, then chances are they're going to develop a negative attitude for that software, for that product, for that service, and even a negative attitude towards your company. Um, So simple instructions on a website, simple instructions that you've printed out, um, something that you've sent them that can easily train them and make them happier. Okay. Yep. So definitely, I have you have to ask the question: Is the software easy to learn? Okay. Okay. Um, tip number two: Quick to use. What's the speed of this? Um, avoid long, avoid the uh, really big learning curves, and because busy people, they're busy, and so yeah. they don't want to go through the extra steps on waiting for a process to get a new widget. Right. An example of that would be is that a lot of the um, software, again, will take like CRMs, have videos right. that go with it. But if you can't intuitively pick it up to where the video is for the tough stuff, you got to do the video just to get how it works, might want to move on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So tip number two, simple to remember. So do you know that 50% of all websites are lost, for website sales are lost due to just poor design? So similarly, if your business processes are over 20 steps long, then it makes it much harder for your employees to remember. That's right. Mm -hmm. And that's something that Andy's been talking about a lot with Lean is get the steps out. Right. Absolutely. Yep. So tip number four, easy to navigate. So I'm sure you've probably seen this before where you've been to a website and it's just so darn hard to navigate, you know, to to have a diagram to reference or to have like a site map or for... A CRM system to have a workflow can really help your employees or help your customers navigate your website. Or that the CRM, in this case, is customizable that you can put your work process in. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yep. And then lastly, number five, enjoyable ease of use. So actually, um, I saw this. I saw you had your tablet yesterday. It made me think about how frustrating tablets were back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, I had one of the first compacts like in 95. They were just yeah. so hard to use. Yeah. You, know, you had to be very precise. You couldn't touch. And so what that does is if it's not enjoyable for a customer to use, then chances are he or she's going to return it. Right. You know, so just looking back at it now, tablets nowadays have big buttons. They're easy to navigate. They're, they're enjoyable. And they bring us a sense of satisfaction when you use it. Because now with tablets, for me, I have the mobility. And I'm able to get content easier and it's more satisfying content. Okay. Yep. So ask yourself the question, business owners, does your product address an enjoyable design and functionality while bringing content that is satisfactory? Okay. Um, what closing thoughts do you have about this user-friendly? If there was a two or three pieces of advice you could give a business owner or somebody who's going to be looking at software to make a purchase? Yeah, sure. Um, so a couple of different advices is just to, you know, just, just going back to what we talked about before last week is to measure twice, cut once. You know, definitely make sure that this is the software 
that's fits going to be the best fit for your company that it fits these five tips ease of use quick to learn okay. is it enjoyable okay. you know and then more importantly you have to know yourself you know i mean we have tons of business partners who are um on the uh, on our talk show richmond biz live you have tons of different experts here from finance to um to operations um to sales that can really meet with you and really help you figure out what your process is. And so then with that, we can also give you recommendations on different products and services as well. Yeah, and in fact, that's a that's a great thing to leave them with, uh, We is that if they were to, I, we were not going to do this over the radio, but if you were to contact us and say, what are you, what are you using, what would you buy? Mm-hmm. We'd be more than happy to tell you. And we, we don't have any product endorsement money here. So Absolutely. This, is, this stuff, like we said at the show, this is what we do. Not, not advice that we give, but... What we do, and we tell, we're telling you about it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks for being on the show. How do people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can get in touch with me by going to your Richmond Biz Live website. You can click on Experts, and you'll actually have my contact information on there. Um, also, you can go to firestartergroup.com. That's our website, and uh, you can reach me through that website as well. Awesome. Good seeing you, man. Bill, it's always a pleasure. All right. I'll see you next week, and we'll be back. My name is Gui Tran, IT and Web Director of the Firestarter Group. With over 75 years of collective experience, our team of experts work relentlessly to uncover your organization's unique identity, focusing on the most effective means of communicating your brand. We believe successful branding establishes an emotional connection between an organization and its target audience. The days of old business models are over. It's time to rethink your business. Welcome to Firestarter. Visit us at firestartergroup.com and richmondbizlive.com and take our complimentary 30-second brand audit to gauge where your brand is at today. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So, why don't you make an appointment with me every Saturday at 10 o'clock to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. And we're back, and uh, this is WLEE News Talk 990, and this is Richmond Biz Live. Uh, this is Bill Eastman, your host, and I have on the, in the studio with me Jill Schlesinger, Jill on Money from CBS News. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. Uh, before we get, uh, start talking about the state of small business in the United States, uh, tell us, our, our listeners, a little bit about your, uh, your history and your background with CBS and the news. Well, um, actually, I started out uh, on Wall Street. Uh, my first job was as a trader on the floor of the Commodities Exchange in New York. I was a gold, silver, and options trader, kind of wow. a wonky math girl. And, um, and I survived the floor and, um, you know, a little bit roughened up, and then went off and um, started a company with a couple of business partners managing money for people, and I did that for about 15 years. And, you know, as a small business owner, one of the things that we were always struggling with was how do we get new business? And one way that I had figured out that might be kind of cool is I said, hey, maybe if we use the media, we can get some people familiar with who we are and what we do, and then it would be easier to close that business. 
And so we started doing radio and TV. We hosted a radio show, and um, that really grew over time. And uh, it grew so much that uh, some folks in the media said to me, hey, you know, you're pretty good at this. Maybe you want to do this full time. I said, no way. That's terrible. It's an awful job. And um, and then when I sold my company, uh, I took that awful job, and I've been with CBS now for uh, a little over five years and have a great time. I, I'm on TV and radio, and um, I've been just delighted to be part of this organization. And um, I cover the economy and markets and some personal finance stuff. And then separately, I also host my own call-in radio show. It's called Jill on Money. And um, I'm... I'm trying to get the this big time economic financial information down to the level at which everybody out there can just take it in and not get overwhelmed by it. Wow, that's a that, that's quite a story. In fact, it's how we started out with this radio show uh, was to take a look at marketing and sales for smaller uh, training and consulting firms with uh, small business. So uh, that's interesting, kind of the same journey, though I doubt seriously anybody's going to be calling me up. So uh, <laughs> I but, but never I know. Find, but I find intriguing here is that many ways you're doing what I'm trying to do, and that is understand the economy and put it in language that the people that really have to have it can understand. So if, as a small business person, uh, describe this economy to me and uh, to our listeners, really, and what would you do if you're running a small business today in terms of trying to thrive? Well, you know, I think it's a funny time timing issue here because, uh, you know, it's now exactly five years since the end of the recession, right? The, there's, a, there's a committee that actually dates the beginning and end of recessions, and they said June 2009, that's when the recession actually ended. And in the last five years, boy, we've all learned so many tough lessons. And if you look at where we are and, you know, we've made great progress, but by no means has this been a recovery that anyone feels really good about. So while the stock market's doubled, you say, but wow, household income's still down 4% from where we were five years ago. So I think that what's important to understand is every time we look at like the economy, big picture, the economy, the GDP, we're talking about an economy that went through something that was so severe in 2008 and 2009 that it was bound to take a long time to recover, and it was just not going to be like any other recession that most people have lived through in the last 30 years. In fact, it was the longest recession since World War II, and it was the deepest recession since the Great Depression. So that means you're a small business owner. What does that mean? It means, that, of course, you're gun-shy. You'd never want to get smoked like you did in, during the recession. You want to be defensive. But it also means that you're a survivor. And if you've survived, now could be a time where you start to say, let me take the lessons of what I learned in the recession and do something different going forward. And that difference may be, hey, I've got to do more with less. That may mean that I need to look at social media as a way to enhance my business. It also may mean that, you know, the way that you were running your business before the recession just was too clunky and you had to adapt. Wow, that's uh well, that's, that's a mouthful, I, and, and I'm in total agreement about you've got to run your company, uh, company totally different. One of the things that we've talked about on the show is creating a culture of frugality, mm. is that the, so many small business owners allow uh, variable costs to become fixed over time, mm-hmm. and then when sales tank, suddenly you're underwater and you're going, what happened? And you know what's funny about that? In the, in the peak times, right, when things are really going well, yes. it's just like the same way that the stock market can do a number on your head. Um, and, and what happens is you sometimes can get a little sloppy. You can get complacent. 
So what I always say to people is, you know, when things are really good, that's the perfect time to look at your organization and say, okay, what could go wrong right now? Let me look at this. Hey, do I really have enough cash on hand to weather something bad happening? Do I, have I really done what I need to do with my employees to build a team that would st- stay through the bad times? What is it that I need to do to bring to this organization to bring life into it? You know, so much of being a small business owner, it's, it, it is, it's often like, I always say it was like being a parent. You know, sometimes you're really in this situation where, you know, you care so much about these people Maybe you're not doing them a good, maybe you're not doing them justice. You know, I remember I had this young man who worked for me, and I thought he was fantastic, and I thought he was going to be the best financial advisor, and I was going to train him, and I, and I, I really saw such great things for him. And at the end of a few years, he literally came into my office. He says, I don't want to be a financial advisor. I want to be a service guy. And I know you think you want me to be an advisor. I don't want that. And I thought, thank goodness he said that. I kept trying to drive him to be something he just couldn't yeah. be. Yeah, and then the challenge is if you're the entrepreneur owner, uh, many times the skill sets that are being demanded of you are not in your repertoire at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good point. I mean, uh, there are times when you are starting out where you really have to do everything. You know, I, I cleaned the bathrooms when we started, so I was happy with that. I, okay, but I just was not going to be the person who could manage the technology and some of the things that have to be done going forward as you grow. You've just got to admit you're not very good at it. And sometimes you get really good. You do. You actually improve. You know, I've, I have a friend of mine. She has, owns a software company, and uh, it's growing by leaps and bounds. She said to me, look, I graduated top of my class at Stanford in computer science, and I, don't, I didn't know how to be a leader of an organization. I didn't know how to manage a firm. I didn't know what that took. So she sought the advice of other people, other small business owners, to help her out, friends of her, for, for hers from school who were in that position, maybe a few years ahead of her. I think it's so important to ask for help when you think you just don't know something. Yeah, I... Absolute agreement. In fact, uh, what we're trying to do with the show is turn it into 54 minutes of uh, self-help and given, covering the range of subjects that we cover. Hey, you know, Jill, we've, we've got to have you back. Um, is it possible that we can have you back for our next show? Absolutely. I'd be delighted. That is awesome. Hey, how can people reach you? Well, there's a couple ways. Um, if you've got a financial question, just want to maybe come on to my radio show yourself, you can send an email, askjill at jillonmoney.com, or you can hop over to my website, jillonmoney.com, and you can see clips of me on TV at CBS or download some old radio shows and, and check out what's going on in the mind of Jill at any given time. That is great. Okay, and what we'll do is on our on our webpage, on the resources section, we'll go ahead and post that up so there'll be a direct link. Super. Jill, thanks for being on. Great to be with you. Okay, and we'll be back. And back we are. In the remaining three or four minutes here, what I want to do is I want to talk about, there it is, I got to take off the headphones. I was talking to myself. What I want to do is I want to talk about the people dimension, um, and it's kind of a closeout. So what I've been doing in every show, and people, I kind of go back over the last ones because it's a running narrative, a running conversation. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about the issue of rewarding people for either special effort or for the, their ability to push the company forward. And we had a long conversation about um, sharing the books and giving people open site, which last week when I talked about owners and executive, that's exactly what we did. And we said, you know, that stuff needs to be written down. It needs to be formalized uh, because that's one of the ways to convey that it's important. And what do you do with that? And Well, 
the two things that I want to hit on today as we close out the show is one is that people have to understand the personal impact that they have. And if we've done what we've been talking about over the last three weeks, you're pretty much there. Is that um, one of the one of the killer books I read, and I had to reread it as as an older individual because I had to take it in grad school. And you know how it is in grad school. You read what you were told to read, you regurgitate it on the test, and then it's like, huh? Somebody said, did you read that book? I got to oh, I don't know if I did. And that was Victor Frankl's uh, Man's Meaning, uh, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And the thing that got me about that book was that just how important it is to the average individual, well, any individual, that that instead of creating lives where we create our own meaning, it's kind of it's kind of different. Is that we draw meaning from the circumstances and situations in our lives. Well, if you look at it, people come to work, and for the most part, most of us work more than we do anything else in our lives. If we're in a job that has no meaning, it has no ability to provide us meaning, then we're training. Uh, we're just basically trying to uh, trading effort for t- uh, money or time for money, and that's not going to move any business forward. I have to understand that the work content of the work itself. People have to feel good about what they're doing and then see that that has an impact on what we're trying to accomplish as a business. And then that gets me into the other area. It's kind of like a chemistry equation. And again, I'm going back to the school days. And if you had to take chemistry, you hate this. You remember balancing equations in chemistry? Uh, I mean, I couldn't do one if you put a gun to my head. I remember doing it, but I couldn't do it. But in business, there is a similar balancing effect is that how many times do we give people the responsibility? We say, get that done, and then we do not give them the authority to carry it off. And if that's the case, if you've got that imbalance where somebody's got responsible for a lot with no authority, we call that leadership by begging. Because the only way you can get anything done is to go and beg people, hey, please, well, you really ought to want to do this, uh, et cetera, et cetera. If you're a consultant, you know what this is like all the time. I mean, one of the reasons that as a business, one of the services that we sell is we sell a, um, a VP and a VP executive into a company. And typically we go in at this as the number two person in a firm, especially a company that doesn't have one and everybody's reporting, uh, to the owner, uh, CEO, president, whatever title he may have taken. And he, and the reason for that is pretty, is pretty simple is that in the consulting business, I can give you all the advice in the world about how to do things. I can bring Andy in to talk about how to do lean. I can bring in uh, we to talk about technology. I can bring in Eric to talk about branding. I can bring in Mike Carroll to talk about sales. And you know what? You take it or you don't take it. That's that's kind of the world that we're in. Um, but if in the consulting role I'm suddenly got a formal position inside the company, guess what? If I tell you we're going to lean and you value your paycheck, we're going to lean. If I tell you that we're going to make a new CRM system work and you're in sales, guess what? Your check doesn't come in until the CRM is working and you're doing your part of it. And so that, and I, I just use that as an example of if I've got somebody in a job and it isn't working, before you go out there and start beating on them, say to yourself, maybe I've got an imbalance. Maybe what I've done is I've loaded them up with work that they do not have the authority to get it done. And in small businesses... This is prevalent. In larger companies, they've already kind of dealt with this and worked their way through it. But in smaller businesses, typically the owner has all the authority and everybody else has got the responsibility. And then the owner is sitting there wondering why um, nothing's getting done and all of the BS that's going on with the business is all 
finding itself consistently in their office for them to solve. Well, you know what? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's what you've done to yourself. So that's the issue here is one is people need to understand the personal impact of what they do because if they do that, I help them draw meaning from their work. Therefore, they're going to give me more than they have to just to get the job done. And then I have to look at their performance to say, does the, does the responsibility they have, um, do they have sufficient authority to get that done? And the higher in the organization that you go, the more that this is an issue. And if this, we're talking to somebody who's in an under $10 million company uh, with, say, 50 or fewer employees or someplace around that number, I will guarantee you that this is kind of the state of the business is that you're the only one with authority, you business owner, and everybody else has got the responsibilities, and then you wonder why nobody's working. Well, because they don't have the horsepower to get it done. And so that kind of takes me to the end of the show, and I want to leave you with a thought here, uh, one that uh, the, I had a conversation yesterday. With the, we and Eric and I and, um, and Charles Colley were together, and we were having some conversation about branding and that, and we were having a, a, a discussion about just how important the work we're doing it is, and that is one of the comments that came out, and I don't know who made it, is that in some ways we're doing God's work. Now, I don't mean that is a religious statement. What I mean is is that, for example, the company down in Roanoke, Virginia, where I'm working, there are 70 people, 70 families who are going to eat or not eat because of whether we can keep that business open. There are kids that have clothes on their backs, go to good schools, have a chance to go to college. And so the significance of what we as business owners do uh, is a lot of people just say that we're out for the money yeah, true. We need the dollars to make it work. But the reality is is that we're doing so- something far more significant, and we're impacting more lives than a lot of us believe. So with that, wealth and prosperity to everybody. See you next week. Hello, this is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com, and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. Join us every Saturday at 10 o'clock for Richmond Helping Richmond, one hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar and join in every Saturday at 10 o'clock on WLEE News Talk 990 for the most important hour in your week.